We are going to be in Colossians chapter 1, but before we get into that, I just, I trust everybody had a good holiday. For my kids, they, I think they had got every, just about everything they wanted. They also wanted snow. Um, we've lived in a couple of different places around the country where snow is expected on Christmas. There was one year, we were in Connecticut, and there was no snow in the forecast, there was no snow on the ground, and we woke up Christmas morning to two inches of beautiful white snow, and so they were like, okay, that's a thing, that can happen. Snow can happen when it's unexpected. And so that did not happen this year, sorry kids, uh, no snow in Texas, just little flurries beforehand. But anyway, we had a great Christmas and uh, celebrating with family. My mom came in from Washington State. She enjoyed the warm weather and uh, enjoyed a mild Christmas here in Texas. When we were in Connecticut living there, uh, we, were, we were called to minister to Yale students, undergraduates there for about three years. And it was in that time that I first came across the story of a man named William Borden. William Borden uh, graduated high school and entered Yale University in 1905. Well, he, was, he had just arrived as a freshman. Yale at that time was only male students, about 1,300 students that were uh, undergraduate students at Yale. And he entered, he came from a very prominent family, a Chicago family of great wealth. And when he entered, he entered with a very robust faith in Christ. He started as a freshman, and early into his freshman year, he became discouraged. The president of Yale University at the time had given an address uh, at, a, at a chapel service, and it talked about the road ahead of them and the challenges and the opportunities, but made no mention of Christ. And for William Borden, this was incredibly discouraging. And so he committed with a friend of his that they would meet every day, and they would open the Word, and they would pray, and they would start every day that way. So it started out just he and this buddy. They would open the Word, they would read a couple of passages, they would pray, and then they'd go about their day. By the end of the first semester, a couple other buddies had joined them, so now there was a handful of them. By the end of that first year, 150 freshmen were joining in these morning times of word and prayer. By the end of his three, first three years there and the start of his senior year, a thousand out of 1,300 would meet regularly to read the word and to respond in prayer, roughly 77% of the student body. When William Borden first entered Yale, it is reported that he had written on the inside cover of his Bible, no reserves, that he was committed to living a life where he didn't hold back any of the resources that he had available to him. Financially, his time, his intellect, everything was, was not going to be held back, and it was going to be used for the Lord. And he came from a, a place of very great wealth. Uh, after he had graduated college, his father passed away, and he was now the manager of his family's fortune, and it was pretty vast. But his friends at Yale were impressed because he had already reconciled early in his Yale career that he wasn't going to go into the family business, he was going to go into missions. He had resolved that the Lord had called him to be a missionary to the Muslim population in China. And so he was, that's where he was headed. 
And so he gave his money away. He gave a lot of it away. And in his time at Yale, he actually started within New Haven, the city surrounding Yale, he started a rescue mission in addition to his studies and everything else he was doing. And so when you, his friend said that if he wasn't in his room studying or at the library or in class, he was probably at the the New Hope Mission in downtown New Haven, ministering to the homeless and to people suffering and struggling with substance abuse. So this was his life, no reserves. When he had graduated Yale, he went on to seminary to get theological training so that, you know, he could go out into the mission field, and it's reported that he had written in his Bible two more words. In addition to no reserves, he wrote no retreats, meaning whatever ground that he had gained in Christ and that Christ through him had gained, he was never going to draw back. He was going to continue to press and press in and never retreat. And so, as he trained up and got his training from seminary, he decided to stop in Egypt on the way to the mission field in China. He stopped in Egypt for language training, and he spent about four months there. But at the age of 25, William Borden contracted spinal meningitis and died within a few weeks. Here's a guy that early on had reconciled his life belonged to Jesus. Regardless of his wealth or his position in society, he was to use whatever he had and leverage that for the gospel of Christ. And when they found his Bible, he had written at some point two additional words. So in addition to no reserves, no retreats, he wrote no regrets that he wanted to live his life in such a way that he had no regrets. At the age of 25, he went to be with the Lord. And people look at this story and they go, man, what a waste. Here's a guy on fire for the Lord, headed to the mission field in China to a remote population of Muslims there. I mean, he was, he was like elite stuff. But in God's economy, William Borden's life that had been given wholly over to him, a life that was lived with no reserves, no retreats, and no regrets, was was spent well. He didn't wait till he grew up to start doing this walk with Jesus thing. He started right then, in that moment, and he had written in his journal when they looked in his diary, he said he had resolved every day he was going to start his day by saying no to self and yes to Jesus in every conversation, in every circumstance. And what does that look like? And I think it's, it's interesting as we, in this season, we make resolutions. We look at the past year, we look at 2017, we go, okay, that was a year, a lot of things happened I didn't expect. Some things happen that I'm pretty proud of, some other things I'm not so proud of, and we make an assessment of the last year. And we kind of then posture ourselves looking towards 2018, and we want to do some things different. We make resolutions. Anybody make resolutions in here? Are you guys people that do that? And you go, okay, I'm going to try to make a 1% increase in this area of my life or something like that. 
Yeah, I think it's natural to do that. I think it's important in, it's to take times and seasons to reflect. But what we see in Scripture is it's not the habit or the practice of God's people to sit back and reflect on our own habits and our own actions only to see faithlessness, but we stop and we reflect on God's faithfulness. That throughout the Scriptures, you see them take seasons and times. There's even… it's built into the, the festivals, right? The Feast of Booths or Tabernacles that you see in the Scripture is basically the first kind of church campout, a time where they would take a season out of every year to reflect back on God's faithfulness in the time of their ancestors in the wilderness and His provision for them, a time to reflect. And so, the passage that's before us today in Colossians chapter 1, I think is a passage that, that provokes that kind of assessment, where we ask some questions, how am I living, and am I living in a way that matches up with what's expected in the Scriptures and what the Lord expects of us? So, as we open to Colossians chapter 1, some context here is Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae. It's a church that he himself did not plant. It was planted by Epaphras, who was from Colossae, who had visited Paul in prison, heard the gospel, brought it back to his hometown, spread the gospel, preached the gospel, and a church started there. And so, Epaphras, in communication with Paul, had clearly articulated to Paul, there are some things that the Colossians were struggling with, challenges to their faith. And one of the main kind of areas of tension that we see come out in this letter is that there had been people that came in and were either articulating that, yes, Jesus is the gospel, and the way that you know for sure that you have Jesus is that you follow the, the, the rules of Judaism. So, you have to become Jewish, and then, and then the gospel takes effect. There were another group of people that were articulating that you had to have some mystical experience in order to be assured that the gospel had really taken root. In both of these, there's this idea that it's not just Jesus, it's Jesus plus something else, either your behavior or some external experience. And what Paul's trying to communicate through his letter and to assure them is that the gospel that they heard, that they received, is, is all that they need. It's not Jesus plus, it's just Jesus. And that's, that's important for us to understand because we can be challenged every day to try to pursue or to trust other things to ensure some sort of comfort or security. But Paul's message to the Colossians is Jesus is enough. He is the only one that is enough, and not even your efforts are enough, which is interesting when we look at this passage here. In Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 9, for this reason, he's referring back to the fact that he'd heard of their faith in Christ demonstrated by their love for the saints because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. So he's heard about their faith, and he's, he's confident that it's a true faith, 
that their belief and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ is a true faith and trust. He says, for this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So he starts out assuring them that he prays. He prays for them. But it's not a generic prayer. He's praying some very specific things. He says, we are asking, this is in verse, uh, end of verse 9, we are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. So first of all, it's a knowledge of the will of God. This is not one of those kind of personal, subjective, Lord, what's your will for my life kind of thing. But he's saying this understanding of God's will, it's a deep and abiding understanding of the revelation of Jesus Christ and all that that means for the universe, that God is up to something. In and through the person of Jesus Christ, God has a will to reconcile all things, to restore all things. And that that is not a human understanding, but it's a wisdom and a spiritual understanding. The Spirit of God Himself reveals God's will to us. And that being filled with this wisdom and spiritual understanding, the knowledge of God's will, will produce something in us. Notice what he says here in verse 10. He wants them to be filled. He's praying that they be filled with the knowledge of His will so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. That statement right there, that has given me struggle through the years, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. You see this this term, worthy, And I don't know about you, but when I hear that or I read that, I go, okay, I know myself, and I'm convinced of my own sinfulness. So this idea of worthy, to live in a way that that kind of measures up, that's a challenge. I know that I'm not capable of that. I know that I can't live in a way that's going to merit God's favor, because I know who He is. I'm convinced of His worthiness, and now Paul's saying he's praying that if we're filled with the knowledge of God's will, that somehow we'll walk in a way that's worthy, fully pleasing. And as I started to dig into this and and kind of reflect on the other ways in which Paul uses this term throughout other letters started to realize that what he's, he's saying here 
is to live or to walk in a way that is consistent with the Lord or that matches up with someone who is called of the Lord, that has new life in Christ, that has received and experienced new birth, that has the life of Christ in them, the Spirit of the living God dwelling within them, people that have been adopted, that are sons and daughters of the Most High God, live in a way that that makes sense or that matches up with that identity. And in that is fully pleasing. Well, Paul gives us a little bit of insight later in the letter. In Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live in Him, being rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, and overflowing with gratitude. So, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, was to do that in a way that we initially received Him. Well, how did we receive Christ Jesus the first time, initially? By faith and repentance. You come to a place where you recognize who you are and how bankrupt you are, how impoverished you are in your moral character, your inability to affect the change in other people's hearts or circumstances, and you recognize your own impoverishedness, and you get to a place where you go, I cannot, I'm unable. And you see Jesus, and you go, He is able. He's everything able, and I'm not. And so by faith, you trust and you place your confidence in Him. You repent of your sin, and you go, that's not, that's not the way to life. He's the way to life. And you turn your gaze upon Him, and you walk trusting in Him day by day. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, the author says, it's impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible. So what we understand then is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord at its core is a walk of faith. It's a walk in in the confidence in Christ, not a confidence in yourself. Trusting in His ability to take any of your efforts when done for Him and to produce something with it. And that's exactly where Paul goes from here. He says that he's asking that they be filled with the knowledge of His will, fully pleasing, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, in growing in the knowledge of God. So Paul introduces this idea that as you walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, you will bear fruit in every good work. That when you do good to other people, it will produce something. It will bear fruit. Now, in the New Testament, you see uh, two ways in which fruitfulness is described or understood. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, right? The evidence of the Spirit's presence in your life will produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These will be the products of the Spirit working in your life. 
But there's another kind of faithfulness that's talked about, and Paul introduces that idea earlier in chapter 1 of Colossians, where he says in verse 6, he's talking about the, tr- the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world. Well, what does it look like for the gospel to bear fruit? For the good news of King Jesus to go forth and bear fruit means people have come into a place of faith and repentance and are now worshipers of the one true God. It's bearing fruit because people who were once walking in rebellion are now walking in faithfulness and obedience to the one true King. And so he says that as we walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him by faith, trusting in His accomplished work, the the work of Christ, it will bear fruit in every good work. Not only will the fruit of the Spirit be present in our life, but people will be drawn to Christ because of our lifestyle. He goes on to say, and growing in the knowledge of God. So, there's, there's four things here. There's, the first one is bearing fruit. This will be a byproduct of someone who is walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Bearing fruit in every good work is number one. Number two, growing in the knowledge of God. Growing in the knowledge of God. Remember, early in my walk, I came across a book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. And in that book, he draws the distinction between knowing God and knowing about God. And I think it's a small difference in the words, but a huge difference in our heart and our understanding. We can know a lot about Him. We can quote Bible verses. We can know Bible data. We can even know what He's promised or what He ought to do or how we ought to live, but that does not compare to having an intimacy with Christ, an actual knowing Him, knowing His heart, because He has revealed Himself in tender, intimate ways to you. There are times in your life where you have cried out to God, and only He knew what you were asking for. And in a tender, quiet way, He affirmed His presence in your life. He affirmed that He knew your name and that He was listening, and He cared about you. And it's in those moments that your knowledge of God vastly increases as you walk by faith, trusting in His presence in your life. And so Paul is praying that that would increase. And that as you walk trusting by faith, trusting and leaning not on your own understanding, but trusting in the Lord, that your knowledge of Him will grow. The third thing he says is be strengthened. Being strengthened with all power. Another way to see that, being come more powerful with His power, not your power. The idea that we are going to need to be strengthened, and we're going to need power because, he says, that is for so that you may have great endurance and patience, 
that we live in a world where we will need to endure and have patience. Endurance here, that relates to situations that we will face. We will face challenging circumstances and situations, and we will need strength for that. Patience has to do with people. We will face challenging people and be in relationship, and God will cause our path to cross with difficult people. But as we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, we will have great strength that comes from Him to endure challenging circumstances and challenging people. Whether these circumstances involve financial stress and strain, health and sickness, major disappointment, physical pain, as we walk trusting completely in Him, we have strength to endure those. Or whether it's relationships where you are absolutely at odds and somebody is working and and it feels as though they wake every day simply to make you feel bad. Whether it's abuse, physical, emotional. Whether it's just a difficult situation and no one's at fault, it just is difficult. Walking by faith, trusting in Him, gives you strength to endure that. And that will produce fruit. It will cause life where there is no life. So giving thanks, or the the fourth one that he talks about, after endurance and patience, he says, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Not in isolation, but it's connected to something very important here. He says, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the saint's inheritance in the light. Giving thanks to the Father joyfully, not begrudgingly, but with a true joy in your heart because of something that's down the road, an inheritance, that we share in an inheritance that makes whatever we're challenged with here, whatever we face here, whatever disappointment we experience here, it's good. Because down there, we have a promise, an inheritance that doesn't even compare to this. It doesn't even compare. He goes on to say, He has rescued us. Not only this inheritance, but Paul, he he labors this point, which is awesome. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. In Him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We were in the domain of darkness, domain, that's authority, that's ruling language. And He transferred us from the domain of darkness where sin and death had all the power. And He has transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, the kingdom of light, truth, of goodness, of beauty. We've been transferred. We've been rescued. That transaction has occurred. 
In Him we have been redeemed, the forgiveness of our sins. And so there is cause to give thanks with a heart full of joy. Give thanks. Because you can recall, I can recall certainly, what I am capable of when left to myself. I know how rotten my heart was and what it was capable of. But praise be to God in Christ Jesus. He has rescued us. He's delivered us from this body of death. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son. So give thanks. So here you have these four things, bearing fruit, growing, being strengthened, and giving thanks. These are the the hallmarks of a life that is walked out worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. And so, as we take time to reflect, we reflect on the back this past year, the temptation is to reflect on us, but really we ought to be called to reflect on His faithfulness and His activity in our life. Because the temptation here is to hear, okay, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, walk by faith, therefore I need to bolster more faith. I don't have enough faith. And so we feel like we have to stir this stuff up in ourselves. But there's a difference between the object and the act of faith. And the act of faith doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. So focusing on the object of your faith, the founder and the perfecter of your faith, Paul goes on to say, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For everything was created by Him, for Him and through Him. When we reflect on Him and His faithfulness, it causes more faith and a life of faith, a life that's marked by faith. Not reflecting on our own behavior or our own faithfulness that will only cause discouragement. So we need to be a people that reflect on what He has done. I remember when we first got married, living in Colorado, we had had this great vision. We were going to have this glass jar in our kitchen. And in that jar, we were going to, it was going to be called our Ebenezer. You guys know what an Ebenezer is? It's a rock pile that's referenced in the Old Testament. God And a couple of occasions when God miraculously delivered His people, He would have them stack up a pile of rocks. And the point of that pile of rocks was to remind them that when their children asked, hey, mom, hey, dad, what's that rock pile for? That they would recall what the Lord did in that place, and they would be able to reflect and retell God's faithfulness, His character, and His love. And so we thought, well, we're going to kind of symbolically have our own little rock pile. It was a glass jar. And we had colored paper, and we started to write out the times in which God showed up in unquestionable ways so that our kids, when they would see this jar full of colored paper, they'd go, hey, mom, hey, dad, what's that? And we'd pull out a piece of paper. Well, we got about five papers in, 
And then we had a bunch of kids. And so we ran out of time or remembrance, and so we didn't fill up the jar. But one of the stories that made it in the jar that gets retold, it has been retold a lot in the last couple of years that our kids ask about, was this time in, in our first year of marriage. We were big into the Dave Ramsey thing. We were financially, you know, peaceful, and we had envelopes, and we had cash in those envelopes, and we were trying to live faithfully by the envelope system. And we would get to an envelope, and if it ran out of money, that was it. And we were getting ready to have uh, Shannon's parents come visit us for about a week. And we were at the end of the month, and the envelope for food was empty. And so we were, it's like, well, do we draw from other envelopes? No. Dave says no. (laughs) Don't do that. So we left the envelope empty. And we, Shannon and I, we sat at the dinner table and we prayed. And we said, Lord, will you please provide? We need food. We need food for us, for our guests. We want to be able to, to bless them. Will you please provide? We finish praying. Shannon gets a call on her phone within minutes. A lady from the church, didn't know our circumstance, didn't know our situation, called and said, hey, my husband's brother who has a house up here uh, is moving to Denver. It's actually quite a sudden thing, and he's actually heading out of town like in the next day or two, and he's got all this food in his fridge, freezer, and pantry. And we were trying to figure out who, you know, who could use it. And sort of just wondering, would you want any of it? It's all yours if you want it. And we said, yes. And boxes and boxes of food. And it wasn't just like the bottom of the line kind of beans and rice kind of food. It was the kind of brands that we would love to afford, but we can't. And so we get the, the grocery store brand version of that kind of thing. Like it was all name brand. And it was bigger and better than we were able to shop when the envelopes were full. And it was one of those tender, intimate moments where you go, that's right. You got this. God, you've got this. I Why was I worried? I forget. And so it's these moments where we recall his faithfulness that it's an amazing transaction. It causes greater faith. It stirs us to a, a walk that is worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And so, as we look at these things, the bearing of fruit, the growing in the knowledge of God, the being strengthened with all of His power so that we can endure and have patience and that we can joyfully give thanks, these are the hallmarks of a walk worthy of the Lord. And as, as we take this time of year to reflect. We need to reflect on Him, not on us. Take inventory what He's done. How has He shown up? And when you reflect on that, tell other people. Tell people what the Lord did this year, how He's sustaining you, how He showed up, small and in big ways. But tell people that stirs even more faith. There's a, 
the lifestyle that's laid out here is one of progression. What Paul talks about here, living a life or walking in a way worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, is all progressive. It's moving language, bearing fruit, growing, being strengthened, giving thanks. They're all movement-oriented, not static, not sitting on the curb waiting for the Lord's return, but there's a progression. There's an idea of moving, of growth. And He makes it clear, the Lord makes it clear in Romans 8 that His game plan for us is that we would be conformed to the image of His Son. That's His goal. There's no secret there. That He wants us to be like Jesus. As we reflect on Jesus, we're going to become more and more like Him. And I was profoundly impacted in college. I was a part of a ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ, which has now been renamed Crew. And Dr. Bill Bright, tremendous influence on me because part of me is I want to go from the theoretical to the practical, okay? Walking by faith, living in a way worthy, fully pleasing. What does that look like every day? How does that play out? Is it just that I need to take more time to stop and, and think about His faithfulness? Yes, that's part of it. But there's a way you do that and a lifestyle that produces that more and more. And what Dr. Bill Bright kind of showed me was this idea of a lifestyle of growth he put into an acronym called GROWTH. And it's simply G, get to know God. Read the Scriptures. Spend time in the Word. If you think about William Borden's lifestyle, it started every day with the Word, of reading the Word of God. And then the second thing, the R, respond in prayer. You respond to what you're reading and how He's communicating, and this becomes a conversation, and you're talking with Him. He's speaking to you through His Word. You're responding in prayer. And that speaking, that conversation develops something the O, obey. Walk in obedience. Moment by moment, seek to obey what you are reading and the lifestyle He has laid out for you, not only in His Word, but in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the demonstration of what it means to be human. Not only did he, was He the image of the invisible God, but He was also the demonstration of what humans are supposed to be like, walking in faithful and joyful obedience to the Lord. And so, the W, walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in your own power. This isn't a pull yourself up by your bootstraps kind of thing, but it's as you are in conversation, getting to know the Lord, responding in prayer, walking in joyful obedience, there's a power that comes from the Holy Spirit, and we see that on display throughout the book of Acts, a people empowered by the Spirit of God. And then the T, tell others about Jesus. Talk about Him. Talk about Jesus to the people that you interact with. God puts you in their life for a reason. So tell. And the H, hang out with other Christians. Be in community. Because when we start telling stories about God's faithfulness to other people, it stirs up more and more faithfulness. So this is the growth model for 2018. I saw this become very, very intimate and clear to me in the life of my own brother. My brother, who's older than me, 
had, had walked with the Lord for 40 years and was, had claimed to be a Christian for 40 years and was in a place of absolute despair. He was at rock bottom. His marriage, his relationship with his kids, his work situation, his financials, everything was just in shambles around him. Circumstances were utterly dismal. Even at a place where he's kind of questioning whether he should go on in this life. And one, one morning he wakes up and he says, you know what? I'm just going to read the Bible. I'm going to do something I've never tried to do before. I'm just going to try to do what it says. And you may be hearing that going, well, yeah, duh. But there's some people that have been walking with the Lord for longer than 40 years that maybe have never attempted that. And so he did. That day he opened the Bible up, he read, and he said, okay, Lord, give me the strength to do this. I'm going to try my hardest. So he did. He tried. He failed a lot that day, but he continued to try. And he said he ended that day with more joy than he could remember having in his life. So he said, I'm going to do that again. So he woke up the next day, read a little bit of Scripture, prayed, Lord, give me the strength. And he tried to walk in obedience. And something started to happen. His heart was so full of joy and the love of God that had been poured into his heart that all of a sudden he, he wanted to do that more and more. And so what was started out a few minutes in the morning became hours. And then it was the first thing when he got home, he wanted to be in the Word more. And this insatiable hunger for the Word and this conversation with the Lord to occur was happening throughout the day as he's joyfully, he's walking in obedience and he's experiencing more joy than he's ever had before. He's telling others about Jesus because he won't stop talking about Him. In fact, when I went to visit him a couple months ago, there's a reputation now in his church that if you get around Scott, you're going to get a lot of Jesus because that's all he talks about. He now is engaged in a ministry in the county jail. He goes every Sunday afternoon and he preaches the Word and leads a Bible study in the jail. His circumstances have not changed, but his posture has. His posture has changed. And he's now walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, because he's walking by faith in an intimacy with the God of the universe, the God of his salvation. And he knows him, and he's increasing, and he's growing to know him more and more. And there's fruit in all of his good works. And you're seeing this strength that he has to endure the circumstances that are still challenging, and the people in his life that are still challenging but he has a gratefulness and a thankfulness and a joy that is unparalleled. And when I talk with him, we now try to speak every week, I am stirred to greater faith because of his walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing.